you have your Bible, go with me, please, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. Then we will be going to the book of Joshua, also the 14th chapter. We have been in a 21-day shift. We have been discussing the act of spiritual warfare, and we have been studying the fact that God said He would teach our hands to war and our fingers to fight. And this morning, I want us to look at a case study of a man whose spirit we need desperately in the church today. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. God speaking here, he says, But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered. His descendants shall take possession of it. I want to use as a subject this morning the Caleb spirit. It's my prayer that all of us will cultivate such a spirit in the house of God this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you also for the anointing of the spirit. I pray that you would anoint me to preach the word of the living God this morning that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that in hearing the word they might receive it as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are three places where any believer can live. I think this morning there are probably one or two of you in any one of these places The first place is a place that is represented by the Old Testament land of Egypt. It's a place of failure, a place of bondage, a place where the new man tries to live in an old way. This is certainly not God's will for any one of us to live in such a place, in the place of failure. So I don't think there's anybody here this morning that wants to live in failure But there are oftentimes many who do because they don't know any better or they don't have the remedy or the solution as to how to live in victory. The next place we find in the Old Testament is the the desert, the wilderness place. And that would be the place where we would speak of survival. For 40 years, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, lived in the land of survival. Just getting by. Living in a cycle in which they didn't lose anything, but they didn't gain much of anything either. The Bible said that for 40 years, their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out, but they didn't get any new clothes either. They didn't get any new shoes. They were simply in a survival mode, and this is where many Christians live today. But I don't believe that's God's will either for our lives. 
not God's will for you to just survive, just to make it, just to get in and out and, and uh, survive by the skin of your teeth. There's a third place where God wants his people to live. And this is the place that we would call the promised land. This is the place where we flourish, where we thrive in the prosperity of God. And that is the place where God wants you and I to live. He wants us to live in a place of blessing, the place of prosperity, the place where we are thriving, where we are flourishing because of the good hand of the Lord being upon us. How many of you want to live in that place? How many of you are living in that place? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When we're talking about abundant life, we're talking about thriving, about going above and beyond, just getting by. God's will for our lives is that we thrive, that we flourish. He says in the Gospel of John that he's looking for fruit. Good fruit and much fruit from our lives. That speaks to us of flourishing. So as we go through this 21-day shift in our spiritual uh, warfare against the powers of darkness and, and we go toward a, a greater and a, a stronger handle on what God wants for our lives, I want to challenge you with the life of Caleb because Caleb was a man who knew how to thrive. Caleb was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land when they were in the wilderness. He sent in 12 spies, one man from every tribe, to go into the land and spy it out. And they spent 40 days checking out the land. When they came back and they had a, a council meeting and all the nation of Israel gathered to hear their report, there was an anxiety, there was a tension, there was excitement as to what God was about to do. And, and they began to say the things about the land they had seen. And they said, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that is prospering. It's a land that is blessed. It's a land that is really um, set upon by God. This is God's land for us. And the scripture says that 10 of the 12 spies, they said, yes, you're right. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, but there is no way we can take this country. There's no way that we can possess this land. It is a land that is filled with giants. They said, we're going to be like grasshoppers in the sight of the, of the Canaanites, of the people of the land, and they're going to eat us for lunch. And out of two million people, there were only two men. How many? Two men out of two million. I guess you would call that a minority. There were two men that said, we are able to go up and take this country. We are able to conquer, to, to take the, the promised land. And, and Caleb and Joshua said, to the contrary, they will be lunch for us. But the minority report did not prevail. The majority report prevailed. And the Bible said that God said to the nation of Israel, you will spend 40 years in the wilderness, one year for every day that you spied out the land because you were unwilling to believe that I could give you the land. Now Caleb and Joshua would have to go for 40 years living with an unbelieving generation. 
The Bible said that Caleb had a different spirit. The spirit of his generation was unbelief. Much like the spirit of our generation, we live in a generation of unbelief. And I believe that God today is looking for a people with a different spirit from that of the culture. A different spirit from that of the world. A different spirit from that of the way that things are done. There was a, a commitment in the heart of Caleb to do things God's way. And the Bible said that he followed God fully. Now, in, in Joshua chapter 14, verse 8, we, give, we hear testimony from Caleb himself. Caleb says, I determined to follow the Lord fully. How many of you can say that this morning? Now, that's really easy to say, isn't it? I'm going to follow God fully. It's really easy to say when you're sitting at church. I'm going to follow God fully. He was making a commitment. This is the one thing that is so counter-cultural in our day to find believers who will commit. Commitment is that lost art of the church. But Joshua and Caleb made a commitment and Caleb said, I'm going to follow God fully. No half measures. Not almost, not kind of, sort of. I'm going to follow God completely. He's going to have my full commitment. We live in a world today where there is very little commitment. That's why marriage is failing in America. Because there is very little commitment. But God will bless those who will commit to Him. You know, I, I find sometimes that we want to give God some of us, but we want to get all of Him. You realize that God wants all of you and he deserves all of you. He deserves all of me and if I give him all of me, he won't shortchange me. He'll give me all of himself. There is a lack of commitment in our day. I want you to know church that half-hearted believers have never conquered anything. Not so much as an anthill. Lukewarm faith has never moved any mountains. Weak-willed leaders have never strengthened a single soul. God is not looking for the half-cocked, half-baked, half-measured believer. He's looking for total commitment and total surrender to His purpose and to His will. He's looking for people of a different spirit. People who have a resolution a commitment who are sold out to God. Heard the story of a Chinese pastor who when he baptized the members of his congregation, he would say to them, when they come knocking on your door and persecute you for your faith, will you deny Christ? That was the question before they could get baptized. We know very little about that kind of commitment in America, in the American church today. The kind of commitment that Julius Caesar had when he, when he invaded the island of Great Britain. And he, he called all of his men up into the, the cliff. And he said, look down. And when they looked down, they saw the boats on which they had crossed the channel. And they were on fire. He had commanded the ships to be burned. It was either victory or ab absolute death. He had made a commitment to the cause. 
Closer here at home, Sam Houston crossed the river and burned the bridge behind him at San Jacinto, saying it will be victory or death. Caleb was just such a man. He had just such a commitment to God. His commitment was so determined that he waited on God for 40 years. How long will you wait? Are you committed? Are you committed to praying until something happens? Are you committed to waiting until the shift occurs? Are you committed to giving all to God? This is what God is seeking in our day. A people of absolute and total commitment to him. Now we've seen that Caleb bore witness of himself. He said, I am going to follow God fully. But then in verse 9 of Joshua 14, Moses bears witness of him. Moses was Caleb's pastor. Oh, you think about this for a second. Moses said about Caleb, he was fully committed to God. What would your pastor say about you? Don't get so serious this morning. It's just a question. What would your pastor say about you? If you were a member of Moses' flock, what would he say? What will I say at your funeral? It's just a question. You don't have to get nervous. I'm not making an altar call. I'm just asking a sincere question. Caleb was so committed that even his pastor said, this man is fully committed to God. So you get to a funeral and you hear me talking about they were a good cook. You know, they, were, they, were, they had a lot of children, you know, just kind of grasping for straws. You probably know there's something missing there. Caleb's pastor said he's fully committed to God. And then I love it because in verse 14, God speaks up about Caleb. What does God say about you? God says in verse 14 that Caleb was fully committed to him. Even God bore witness to the fact of Caleb's commitment to him. And I want to ask you, friend, what will God say of us? Will we stand before him on that day? Will he say of us, depart from me, I never knew you? Or will he say of us, you were a fully committed follower? What will be God's testimony of your life? Caleb could say himself, he could say from his pastor and from his God that he was committed to God. Now, that's the first part. The second thing we see is that Caleb had confidence. Scripture says that 40 years after the initial entry into the promised land and after the, the minority report lost in the, in the opinion of the people that they traveled for 40 years in the wilderness just surviving, just getting by, just making it until there was a time and a season and a generation that would believe God and they would break the cycle of survival and enter into a place of abundance and enter into a place of blessing and Guess who was at the front of the line? This man, Caleb. 
He had a confidence before God. He said these words to Joshua. He said, I am as strong today as I was the day that Moses sent me out. The man was 85 years old. And yet he said, I'm as strong today as I was the day that I went in and I saw those giants and I saw the land flowing with milk and honey. Can I hear from some gray-headed believers that can say, I am as strong today as I was the day that I gave my life to Christ. How about some middle-aged believers? Anybody out there that can say, I am as strong today as I was at the beginning. Maybe your body is showing some wear and tear, but the Bible says that the outer man is decaying, but the inner man is growing day by day. Hallelujah. Joseph had, pardon, Caleb had a confidence in God. What was the source of his confidence? I'll tell you what it was. It was the word of God. Now you have heard me say this probably a hundred times. And guess what? You'll hear it a hundred more. And after that, a hundred more. Because the source of our confidence is the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The gossip of the neighbors. Does faith come when you hear gossip? No, faith leaves when you hear gossip. Faith comes from watching the news. No. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. This was Joseph's, this was Caleb's confidence. In verse 6, Caleb said this. He said, you know the word which God spoke to me through Moses. He said that to Joshua. He said, Joshua, you know the word that God spoke to me. Do you know the word God has spoken to you? Do you know God's promises over your life? If you had a very rich relative that was about to, uh, about to die and leave you a vast inheritance, do you think you might know a little bit about the details? You think you might study the will a little bit? You think you might get acquainted with the property? I think you probably would. Even if you didn't make it too obvious, you would at least try to know a little bit about it. And you know that the Bible is filled with our inheritance. It is God's last will and testament to the church. And the church is unfamiliar. With what God has said. But Caleb said. I know what God has spoken to me. Verse 6 verse 10. He said. The Lord has let me live. Just as he said. He was aware. Of what God has spoken. Verse 12. He said give me this mountain. About which God spoke. Give me this mountain. About which the Lord has spoken. Again in verse 12, he says, I will drive out these giants as the Lord has spoken. How well do you know God's word concerning your life, concerning your future? That is absolutely essential, church, for you and I to know. Because when you and I hear the word, faith comes. I want you to raise your hand if you know that you're going to need some faith to conquer the things God wants you to conquer. All right, that's 100% of you right there. If you're going to need faith, guess what you're going to need? The Word. 
You guys are a smart congregation. That's why God sent me to Beeville. If you're going to have to have faith and you're going to have to have the word, why do you think the enemy fights you from coming to the house of God? Why do you think he fights you from getting to Bible study? Why do you think he fights you from getting in the Bible? Because it's just no ordinary thing. He knows that when the word comes, faith comes with it. When the word comes in, faith unpacks its bags. So when you're going through a trial, you're going through a tough spot, don't leave the word out. That's when you need to get the word more. You need to binge on the word of God when you're going through a trial. You need to get it, get it, get it, and get it some more. Because it's that word that's building up faith in your heart. When you know God's promises to you, you can stand upon them. and You can lay claim to them. We said, blessed be the Lord our rock who teaches our hands to war and our fingers to fight. And one of the weapons of our warfare is the word of God. These are some of God's promises to you. He said in the book of Hebrews that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Christ. So when you feel like there is a struggle in your spirit to be Christ-like, you remember that promise. He said that he is able to save you to the uttermost. You know what else the book of Romans says? That God has predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son. God has promised to make you like Jesus. So when you look in the mirror and you don't look at all like Jesus, you remind yourself, I have a promise from God. God said he's going to make me like Jesus. And you tell your flesh, so you get with the program, because we are going to be like Jesus. Or you don't believe God's promises. So serious this morning. How are we going to lay claim to a promise we don't know? You need to be able to say, God, your grace is sufficient for me. I stand on that promise. You need to be able to say 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God said, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And with every temptation, God has provided a way of escape. So when you are being tempted, look around. There's a door somewhere. God promised it. He has provided a way of escape. That's the promise of God. You need to learn to stand on that. What else does God say? God said about you, you should be blessed in the city. Blessed in the country. Blessed will be your offspring. Blessed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed you shall be when you go in. And blessed shall you be when you, come, when you go out. And your enemies will rise up against you and they will be defeated before you and they will come against you one way but they will flee from you seven ways. That is God's promise for your life. Do you know that promise? He says, I will take away from you all of the diseases that were on the Egyptians. This is our confidence, the promise of God, the word of God. 
Another promise, the scripture says, my God shall supply every need according to what he has left at the end of the month. What does it say? My God shall supply every need according to his riches in glory. Caleb knew what God had said. And he stood on that. One of my favorites, Psalm 127 verse 2. It says, he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. I just have to smile when I think about that one. You need to make that your own. Are you his beloved? All right, some of you believe it. I want you to believe it. You're his beloved, all right? Are you his beloved? He said, I will give to you even in your sleep. I was at a conference one day. My car wouldn't start. It was already late in the evening. I was about 20 miles from the hotel. And I decided I was not going to have a pity party. I was not going to mope and groan and complain and say, why me, God? I said, Lord, your word says that you give to your beloved even in their sleep. So I'm going to go to the hotel and I'm going to get some rest. And you figure this thing out. You don't talk to God that way, but I do. And guess what? That's why I see his hand at work in my life. Because I believe his word. So I took a taxi, had to pay extra to do that. But I said, well, you want me to pay money for this guy? I'll go and I'll share the gospel with him on the way. And exactly, that's exactly what I did. And I went to bed that night because God can take care of stuff while I'm sleeping and while you're sleeping. He said, I will give to my beloved even in their sleep. David said, Psalm 108, verse 7, God has spoken, I will rejoice. If I have God's word on it, I'll rejoice. What happens when faith comes? When faith comes through the word, number one, you get a picture of what God wants to do. Do you have a picture of what God wants to do in your life? Has, has, has faith grown up in your heart so you have a picture? You know, there was a time when, when we, we began to uh, feel led to remodel the sanctuary, and I was months ahead in my spirit of where we were physically. But I had a picture of what God wanted to do. Some of you thought, Pastor's crazy. You know, he's putting blue tape on the altar. What in the world is this man up to? And, and uh, we even got made fun of by a guest speaker one time. That's why he hasn't been invited back. <laughs> but you see, I could see with my spirit before I could see it in the natural. If you wait to see in the natural, you will never see anything. Because the natural will catch up to what you see in your spirit. And when you get some faith in you and you begin to see what God sees, the natural will catch up eventually. But if you wait on the natural before you're willing to move, Caleb will never conquer that mountain. Caleb will never accomplish anything. But when faith comes, when you have the word of God in you, now you're able to see what God sees and able to see what God wants to do. When faith comes, faith brings desire. The Bible said that God is able both to do, to give us the ability, 
of the will and the ability to do his good work, his good pleasure. So faith brings desire when faith comes. Faith brings assurance. Faith is a title deed on that promise from God. This was the confidence that Caleb had that what God had spoken, he was also able to perform. And then as a result of his confidence, Caleb began to pray. You see, if you have no confidence, you have no prayer life. Or you'll have a very ineffective one. You know how a slave prays? I'm going to tell you how a slave prays. And if this sounds the way you pray, then maybe you need to come to the altar call this morning. Because a slave doesn't know how to ask. A slave only knows how to complain. Oh, life is so hard. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I think I might lose. This is going to be it. This is going to take me out. Woohoo! Woe is me. Ay, 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 ay. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. God, I'm thirsty. Why did you bring us out to the wilderness to die of thirst? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You've heard this all before, haven't you? But a son goes to the father and he says, Dad, You said in your word that if any man thirsts, that he should come unto you and drink. So I'm coming unto you and drink. Dad, you said in your word that you would supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. So I'm asking you to supply, to open the windows of heaven. Faith prays. There was a difference in Caleb's spirit. Caleb had a different spirit because he had a word from God. He had confidence from God, and that confidence provoked prayer. What kind of prayer? Number one, it provoked God-glorifying prayer. Someone said that prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but it is rather getting God's will done on the earth. When you learn to pray in agreement with God and in agreement with God's word, there's power in prayer. Scripture says, how can two walk together unless they are agreed? You cannot walk in faith and you cannot walk in success in the spirit if you're not in agreement with what God has spoken. If you will not believe God, you can't walk in agreement with God. But when you agree with his word, That's why it's so powerful for you to pray the word because you are praying in agreement with God. You're praying in accordance to what God has already spoken. And so Caleb's prayer is a God-glorifying prayer. It's also a specific prayer. How specific are your prayers? You pray like this, Lord bless me today. I think the Lord probably tells us sometimes, there are 8,000 blessings in the Bible. Which one do you want? 
You say, Lord, bless me today. That's very general. When you pray specific prayers, you pray the way the, the men in the Bible pray, with, with agreement in, in what God is going to do and God's power to do it, but also specifically what they're expecting from God. He said, give me my mountain, this mountain right here. He knew precisely what God had spoken, and now he's praying specifically for it, and then he prays a big prayer. I think the sin of the church today is we pray small prayers. Caleb's prayer was, give me this mountain. He didn't say, give me this anthill. He didn't say, give me an acre of land. He didn't say like the old, the old song of the church, give me a little shack on the other side of the hills of glory. He said, give me my mountain. I wish there was some faith in here this morning. Uh, I wish somebody had a mountain in front of them that they would say, God, give me this mountain. Give me this conquest. Give me this great thing. Is there any faith in in the house of God this morning? He prayed a prayer as big as God. I remember the story of the, of the Dallas Theological Seminary. It's about to go bankrupt or out of, out of business. Couldn't pay their faculty. Dr. Schaefer called the faculty in. He said, we're going to pray. He said, either God supplies today or we're closing the seminary. They got down on their knees and they began to pray. What kind of a prayer? A specific prayer. What kind of a prayer? A big prayer. This was Dr. Schaefer's prayer. He said, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. I need you to sell some of them and give us the money. That's a little different from, bless me, Lord. Secretary Barge in the office. He said, not now we're praying. She said, sir, you're going to want to hear this. She said, a rancher just walked in here. He said he sold two carloads, train carloads of cows and he's bringing you the money. Is there any faith in the house of God this morning? God is waiting for his church to pray prayers as big as he is. To take him at his word. A man on his knees can stand up against any enemy. Praying church is an unstoppable force against the kingdom of darkness. When we pray, we must pray the word. We must pray specific arrows. And we must pray according to God's ability to do things. We can believe God because God said that he would be faithful to his word. Now something comes after this. We see that Caleb had confidence and we see that Caleb had a faith life but, and we see that Caleb had prayer life but then we see that Caleb had a struggle. Oh, pastor, you should have just ended the message right there with the cows on the thousand hills. I don't want to hear about struggles. I don't want to hear you tell me about the struggle. Nothing great ever comes without some struggle. 
If you're going to have anything great in this life, there's going to be some resistance. There's going to be some struggle. If nothing else, just to make you stronger. Scripture says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle, don't we? We wrestle against powers and principalities of darkness. Scripture says that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but we do have weapons of warfare, and they're mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. Caleb was going to go and ask for this land. He was going to go and ask for this mountain, and then he was going to have to go and take it. But this mountain was inhabited by giants. This hill country that he wanted was inhabited by giants. You're going to have to face some giants in your life. You're going to have to face some giants in your faith. There were three giants in particular. The first one, his name implies that Caleb was going to face a giant that was going to try to deny him his birthright. The giants that you and I face are trying to deny you and me our birthright as believers. They're trying to deny us our birthright as sons and daughters of God. You and I have to confront that giant by faith in the name of Jesus. When the enemy tells you that you're not good enough, that God won't listen to you, you need to remind the devil that you are the righteousness of God in Christ and you take that giant down with the word of God. Don't let him deny you your birthright. The second giant that Caleb would have to face was a giant that would try to steal the fruit of his life, try to steal his gifts. So many in the church have lost their gifts, so they put them on the shelf because they have not been willing to confront the giant that is breathing down their neck. Oftentimes, the only thing the enemy needs is just a little bit of intimidation to cause you to lay down your weapons and back off. Caleb went over to those giants and he stared them in the kneecap. And he took them down because that land belonged to him because God said so. Because God had spoken. The third giant that he would have to confront was a giant that was going to try to steal his harvest. Many of you this morning have experienced the loss of your harvest over and over again. When you think you're about to make it out, the enemy comes out and cuts it out from under you. Just when you thought you were about to break even, the enemy comes in and he steals your harvest. Can I tell you, friend, that that is not God's will for your life? God's will for your life is that you drive that out, that giant out in the name of Jesus, that you take back what God has given you by absolute right. And this is what the scripture says about Caleb, that Caleb drove them out. He drove out the giants. You see, the essence of survival is just maintaining what you have. But thriving is when you and I drive out the enemy. And you take possession of that which the enemy has been denying you. And he drove them out. Jesus said it like this. He says, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says is going to happen, 
it will be done unto him. Jesus was telling us how to gain our mountain. He was telling us how to drive out the giants from our land. How do you do it, Pastor? You open your mouth and you agree with God. You realize how powerful your words are? I've never cast out a demon by slapping anybody. I saw it happening as a kid, but that's not how you cast out a demon. I never, never cast out a demon by beating them with the Bible. You know how you cast out a demon? With the word. Guess how you're going to drive out the giants that are intimidating you? It's with the word of God. That's why you don't need to be quiet. Half the time the church is just milly mouth, really quiet, minding its own business. No, you and I need to open our mouth and use the anointing that God has given us. We need to drive out the devil in the name of Jesus with the word of God. The story is told of a, a lion. He went after the prey. He was attacked. He was wounded. Couldn't lift his arms and legs, his paws. Couldn't even lift his head. He was vanquished. The enemy came in for the kill. The giant had one thing left. It hadn't been taken from him. He couldn't lift his paws. He couldn't lift his arms or his legs. He still had his roar. When that enemy came in for the kill, the lion let roar out one vast, terrifying roar. A, giant, a, a lion that looked like he was vanquished gained the victory because he had a mouth full of power. Can I tell you when you can't lift your hands and you can't lift your feet and you can't even lift your head, lift your voice, lift your voice, lift your voice. Hallelujah. Devil wants to put a gag order on the church. Be quiet. Don't speak up. Mind your own business. Watch what you say. The devil doesn't mind if you gossip, if you lie, doesn't mind what you talk about. But when you are about to speak God's word, he minds a whole lot because he knows his power in the word. And Jesus said, you say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. He said, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will drive out devils. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame. How did they overcome? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. How many of you have overcome by the blood of the Lamb? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Conquered because they opened their mouth. That's why you'll hear me sometimes in church say, where's the voice of the church? 
Because your mouth has the power of God in it. You remember God dwells within you. And when you open your mouth and you let God speak through you, He speaks. So powerful is the word spoken. The Bible says this. The word is near you. Even in your mouth. That is the word of faith. That if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. How do you get saved? By opening your mouth. And confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart, One believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. God's looking for the church with a different spirit to rise up and speak with God's authority in the the world. Open your mouth. Joshua stood on the battlefield The Bible said that Joshua opened his mouth and he said to the sun, Stand still in Gibeon. And never before and ever since did God hearken to the voice of a man. As he did that day when God's servant spoke with such authority and power that even the cosmos came to a screeching halt as a result. Here's what I want you to do for the next week. In fact, for the rest of the years of your life, when you wake up, you throw the first punch and don't stop swinging till you get back home. You wake up and you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And you just keep going and going and going and going all through the day. You speak the word of God. Drive those giants out in the name of Jesus. Give me my mountain. John Knox said, give me Scotland. Can I say, give me America, oh God. Give us this nation. Give us the soul and heart of this nation. God is looking for a church with a different spirit. I've about made up my mind that if God's going to do anything, he might as well do it at Kingsway Church. If God's going to move, he might as well move here. If he's going to be miraculous, he might as well be miraculous here. Is there any faith here this morning? We are a church of a different spirit. What is the difference? The Bible said we have a spirit of faith. Paul said they had a spirit of faith, therefore they spoke. I have a spirit of faith, therefore I speak. I want to close with this. Caleb's name. If you're thinking about naming somebody Caleb, look up the name first, all right? Think it through. It's not a very spiritual name. It's a very simple name. It actually means dog. So don't don't name your kid Caleb. Or think about it first. But you know, the word dog, it doesn't inspire. When you think about the word dog in the Bible, there's a group of people who were called dogs. 
Now, I don't mean to offend anybody this morning, but all the Gentiles were called dogs. And guess what? You and I are not Jewish, so that makes us Gentiles. <laughs> Caleb had a name from his very beginning that should have kept him from doing anything great. Dog. I don't know what your name is. I don't know what your past has dictated to you. I don't know what monikers and markers and name tags life has put on you. But I know a God who can take a man named Dog and make him a conqueror, a champion, a warrior. The Bible said there was a Gentile woman, Syrophoenician in descent, and Jesus was at a meal, at a table teaching and the woman kept pestering him he ignored her and he ignored her some more and the disciples would say Lord tell her to go away this woman kept pestering Jesus because she had a child a little girl who was possessed by the devil she kept imploring him to do something on her behalf. And Jesus' response to her would send out 80% of the church membership. He said, should I give the bread of the children to the dogs? She didn't need any theological exegesis. She knew that she had just been insulted. And if somebody insulted the church today like that, 80% I think would walk out. Why should I give the children's bread to the dogs? And she was not about to be turned away. She had a different spirit. She had a Caleb spirit. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Hallelujah. I might be a Gentile. I might be outside of the covenants of Israel. But even the dogs eat the crumbs. She was saying, all I need is a crumb. You don't have to give me the loaf. You don't even have to give me a slice. Just touch me. Just give me some part of yourself. Hallelujah. Is there that kind of faith at Kingsway Church this morning? The kind that will say, God... I believe you and I believe your word and I believe what you promise is true give me my mountain give me my mountain give me my children give us this city oh God give us the state of Texas give us revival in America oh God give us our mountain if you have a mountain I want you to stand up and be begin to open your mouth and lay claim to the precious promises of God.